You, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. On today's episode of the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast, I speak with composer David Schwartz. David scored the new documentary film, Lucy and Desi, which was directed by Amy Poehler and had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival. I'm your host, Kyler Bingham. Thanks for listening. But yeah, David Schwartz, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be on the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. Uh, it's lovely to have you on today. Uh, so we're, we're here to talk about the Lucy and Desi documentary that is uh, at Sundance 2022 right now. And I had the chance to watch the film uh the other night i mean absolutely loved it i'm a i'm a huge lucy um desi fan as i think probably most americans are but it was a it, it was an amazing um film amy poehler uh is the director so i just I'm, I'm i know you have quite the background um with working on tv and film so i'm, I'm just curious how you kind of came to this project specifically oh, <laughs> so many different ways i can answer that um well I like to say that I acted in Amy's last two films, in uh, Wine Country and Moxie. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I had one line playing the part of a bass player. I am a bass player. So <laughs> so, so that's how I got that job. But I actually wrote a, a, a tune for a jazz band in the opening scene of um, Wine Country. And it was just so much fun. I, I took a trio up to Napa. And we worked the whole time. You know, we weren't on vacation. But uh, Amy's set was really incredible. And I think I had met her once before because she was on Arrested Development. And but really, the job came from uh, Morgan Sackett, one of the producers of Veep and The Good Place, and who I've worked with on a few things. And um, every time Morgan asked me if I could do something, it always sounds like I'm about to do some huge favor or something that's going to be bad. And it's always something great. And I've learned to say, if he's asking me to do something, just say yes. Well, I say yes to anything. But anyway, and um, and because you know it was a pandemic project, we barely met on the project. We had one um, shortened spotting meeting. Uh, at the beginning to discuss music, but I like to come in with music. I don't like to come in and say, well, here's what I'm going to do, because it's hard to do that. It's really, for, some people can come in there and, you know, just say, this is, it's going to be like this, and we're not going to have any violins in there. It's just going to be cellos and violas, and, and I, I have to sort of write something and see what's working. And so I came in with some themes, and I, I can definitely say I didn't hit it out of the park, but Amy could choose a couple of different themes, and she, it was more in this direction. And, um, you know, her concept was more serious than mine because I thought Lucy and, hey, I get to do my Cuban thing. Not that I'm Cuban, uh, to be clear. But, you know, I love to do that kind of music and, and I have Cuban musicians that I work with. And it wasn't that, mostly not that. I mean, there is some comedy in the music too, but it's this really touching story. And it's a love story. And it's a love story to the very end, way past their divorce. Mm -hmm. Probably answered more than you wanted there. No, that's that's awesome. I I, I love that. It's, uh, I think like especially with a a film about Lucy and Desi, it seems um, just because they're so iconic and everyone feels like they they know them, right? In, in many respects. So I think I, I'm just kind of curious coming to a project that is uh, you know a documentary about two very iconic people. Um, and one of them being a music professional musician, uh, how do you like? Where do you even start trying to uh, score or work on something like this? Um, I don't know if I ever feel differently about any project. I come in, 
and I try to get a feeling for what it is musically, and that really develops as I start to write. Um, I don't think documentary, comedy, or drama. I just sort of think, and like I just finished a cue right now for Rutherford Falls. Like mm-hmm. it's probably not finished, but you know, I go, is it working? Is it not working? And and that's sort of my my standard for it. That being said, you're absolutely right, Lucy and Desi. You know, and and their fandom and reputation keeps growing. It's like the Beatles. You know, like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't end, you know, another generation comes along and the kids get onto it. And then you watch Lucy and Desi again as an adult or in college. And you're, you know, you see it through a whole new set of eyes because how great it is. And uh, and I learned a lot in this doc, you know, how much uh, they both changed television. And, you know, things that were just helping them like, oh, we're having a baby, so we're going to make reruns. I mean, that didn't exist before. Or to do shoot on film and to own, you know, they were the only people who created television in those days who owned the video or the film that they made. So that's groundbreaking. Yeah. I think for the, like the, the film itself, I mean, um, so I'm, I'm 40 years old and I remember just watching reruns growing up with like, like a lot of people of different generations. And it's just, I, I had never th- really thought about it until seeing the film at like how groundbreaking it was, because I mean, when you just like start adding all the elements of it, uh, you have a Cuban American, a Cuban married to uh, a right. white white woman, and he and they're they're having a show. I mean, it just it's really mind blowing. And I think I don't know if that's what is one element of the uni- you know it's universally loved. I mean, it's hilarious. So I think ultimately that's what it's good writing and it's hilarious. And ultimately, um, I guess that's what it comes down to. But I think when you watch it, it just is so. It just feels like home. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's such a it's such a cool um, television show. And, and I think sometimes when you're younger, you just you're not aware of all the other elements that are that are into it. So it's really cool when you find uh, these things out and kind of stop and think about just the complexity. And it's it's a incredible that the thing was even made. Um, and now we're we're all just lucky to have that television show. Um, and like you said, generations, um, you know, keep coming to it. And it is interesting what I'm a high school teacher. So it's interesting what what teenagers and I've been doing it 15 years now. So what what's, what students um, are generally aware of and um, what isn't a fad. So like I Love Lucy is one Charlie Chaplin, the Three Stooges. They remember or they, they are aware of these things where other uh stuff they just don't know so it's just a it's a, it's awesome that you were able to be part of a project like this very um, special yeah Absolutely. incredible and, and i think you know behind the scenes there was a lot of talk in the television business of oh can you have a cuban man and, and a white woman and can they be a couple can they actually be married i mean it was so restrictive in those days <laughs> but i think anyone who saw them on tv it's lucy and desi and they were right. just a couple and yeah. you love them together and you never thought of, about or maybe i'm wrong maybe there were people who thought about the race of it but, you know, I was little then and I just accepted it like most kids sure. do when they see it. And it's just this this perfect thing that happened and, and continues to go on. And those shows, you know, can't be duplicated or, you know, they're just fantastic. Yeah. And they kind of set the, the tone for, you know, they changed, they invented modern television. So it's a it's a it's pretty incredible. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to talk briefly about um, how you got into this field. You're a musician. Um, obviously, but getting into uh, scoring TV and film, like take us back a bit and uh, sure. how did you become involved? I'd love to hear your story. It's a good question. I think every composer has a different story. You know, uh, I mean, 
you have to work hard, you have to want it, and accidents have to happen in your favor, I think. And mine were definitely, you know, I, I was uh, almost your age when I started, and that's unusual. Oh, wow. and, uh, um, and I did a friend of mine came to me, and he had been very successful in the early days of MTV videos. He had done Till Tuesday and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and those were sort of qualified, unqualified hits in, in the days of MTV videos. So he had a little bit of thing and he wanted to make his own film. And his wife was a friend of mine and she had said, oh, you should ask David. But what he asked me really was, was I, do I know anybody? He asked me, do I know anybody who can score a film? And I said, let me think about it because I wasn't doing that. I was producing music and playing bass and writing. And then my wife said, you should do it. And I said, but I've never done that. And it's hard enough to try to get jobs in the things that I'm trying to do instead <laughs> of doing this, you know, side hustle here of film scoring. Yeah. <laughs> She said, no, you'd be good at it. So I, I said, can I try? I was very um, shy about it. And he said, sure. And he gave me the longest scene in the movie. And it, the movie was called Skeeter's Wings. And I worked on it for days and, you know, had to learn the technology at the same time. And, um, and he loved it. And at that point, by the time I got back with my demo, he had people who had done, you know, medium-sized films and had real credits. But it earwormed into his head, and I haven't heard it since I've did, done it. He's not alive anymore, but his wife is, and she's still a good friend. And she says she's going to play it for me, and I go, I don't know. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> so I get that way about things. I'm seeing myself on interviews is another one. Mm -hmm. But uh, so uh, you know, we did, he, he, I did that film with him in my garage studio next to me the whole time. You know, and his editor who and his editor she kept on saying that's wrong you don't know what you're doing do you i said no i freely tell you <laughs> but somehow a really nice score came out of it and um it, the movie never was released that he ran out of budget he was very ambitious trying to make a film on his own and um his career went on but that movie didn't and uh one of the people who had seen that movie was cheryl block and cheryl became a producer of northern exposure that was at least a year and a half between those two things and in that year and a half I decided, oh, I, this is what I want to do. This is really what I should. I loved it so much, and I knew how hard it was too. And uh, so I got, you know, from the Hollywood Reporter, a list of anybody who was in TV and film production, and I sent cassettes because that was the hi-fi medium of its time uh, to this big list. And, you know, you send them out in envelopes. It's a whole little craft industry, and my wife helped, and we put them out. Zero, you know, zilch. Nothing comes back from that. There is a side story. I don't know if it's worth telling, but. Anyway, so a year and a half later, having nothing to do with the cassettes, this woman, Cheryl, who was a friend of the director, and I had met, she said, look, we're doing this TV show. We've tried everybody in town. We don't like anything we're getting. It's all very typical. Will you try something? I heard your music from, from Skeeter's Wings. And, you know, that's a double-edged statement right there, too. I've, uh, maybe I didn't know it then, but now if someone called me up and said, look, we've tried everybody in town. You want a shot? <laughs> so, but they didn't mean it that way, and they were frustrated. So, um, And I said, okay, and, and, and I didn't really know what it was or anything like that. And then, like, uh, 20 minutes later, um, William Morris, the CAA, PA, showed up at my door. You know, and I said, oh, you know, this is a project... <laughs> <laughs> that might be real, you know, because you do all these things and you don't know what's what. But uh, so I wrote the Northern Exposure thing. Oh, the show was Northern Exposure. I didn't sure. say that. Yeah, I love that show. So, yeah. so uh, and no one knew what it was. It wasn't even called that. It was maybe going to be called North to the Future. I didn't know whether it was about a moose or a doctor. You know, I had <laughs> I had no video at the time. And, you know, she had told me a little bit. Cheryl's also a good friend now to this day. 
Um, and uh, and I wrote the theme pretty much, you know, as much as I can remember, pretty much what was heard on the air, but with sampled instruments. And then I listened to it, I said, oh, this doesn't sound like a TV theme. And I wrote a second thing. And that's something that I've lost. So I would listen to that if I could find that. But, mm. but you know, very few things have been lost. But for some reason, you know, it was never used. Uh, to me, I think it sounded like a quiz show theme. <laughs> the, the, and that's what I played, the wrong theme. And uh, luckily for me, I could tell she was disgusted hearing it. You know, <laughs> she, she didn't want to, you know, totally reject me because I knew her through these mutual friends. And, uh, and she said, uh, oh, God, do you have anything else, you know? Uh, very very blunt about it, and I said, "Yeah, I do." And I I, I pulled out the other cassette and uh, and played that for her. She said, oh, this is really good. Let me show it to Josh and John. And Josh and John were Josh Brand and John Falsey, who created Northern Exposure. Mm -hmm. And uh, and <clears throat> she called me up and and she said, "Oh, they really like it, but they have this song by David Byrne, This Little Town." I said, "Well, that's pretty impressive." <laughs> she <used> that. <laughs> <laughs> go with that but I guess I earwormed myself into there and um, and they called me up and they said oh really great news you know uh, we're going to use your tune and I was going, great that's amazing and, and okay so we'll see you tomorrow to start the show and I had no idea those two things were attached and I had <laughs> only the experience of this one movie where I had a lot of time uh -huh. and so you know I tried to be just as excited as it, you know panic was setting in which is I think panic's part of the job anytime you get a job because you don't know what you're going to write. So, and, and I've heard, you know, Danny Elfman say this and Thomas Newman, two of my heroes, two of the greats. And it's just part of it because until you start to figure out what you're going to write and until it's accepted, you're flying blind there. Uh, anyway, so, um, and Northern, I came in a couple of days later and we spotted the whole show and I think they gave me a week to do it and there wasn't much music in that first show maybe 11 pieces and i they, they all came to my studio all the producers came to my little funky garage and rejected every piece that i wrote one after the another and they it was sort of like no that's wrong what, what were you thinking <laughs> just like, wow you, you, did you want to do a big movie score here i can't remember what they said but, and, and and they're they're really nice people so it sounds like they're insulting but they're just sort of <laughs> hold back you know that group and uh so towards the end, I think we'd gotten to the ninth piece and there was one left or 10th piece and one left. And I said like, oh, well, I see I've totally miscalculated. If you give me another day or two, let me rewrite and see this. Well, let's hear the last piece. And uh, they really loved the last piece, uh, which was this very ambient thing at the end of the first episode uh, featuring a harmonica, uh, but not the kind of harmonica that's in the theme. And, uh, and I think if I hadn't gotten that one acceptance, I might have been fired. I'll, I'll never know. But... Uh, and and Northern was a very unique show. I don't know if there's anything like it. Maybe now, but then every episode was totally different music. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Every producer of the show um, has brilliant musical memory and taste. And they were, they didn't, you know, they said, okay, this week, it's, can we do some North African music? Or, you know, on the seventh show, Josh came to me and said, have you seen the show? Um, and um, I said, no. He says, it's a throwback Western. You really need some help. Can you get 150 people in an orchestra? I said, Josh, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't. I have. I've been in orchestras, but I don't know what it is to hire an orchestra for a big film or, or anything. And that's too many people. He said, Well, just get a lot. So, uh, and those days too, or he had the ability to, to go to the TV. You know, I think it was Universal Television, and say, like, Oh, we're going to do an orchestra. We need a budget, and it was 65 players. 
which was great. Still my biggest orchestra to this day. Uh, I had about uh, a little more than half of that for uh, Desi and Lizzie, Lizzie and Desi. And, uh, but I've learned to make smaller orchestras sound bigger. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in, and that's how I learned in non-exposure, and I think I learned every kind of music in there, except for like how to do a cop show, which I still have this. To, I've never done a cop show or a lawyer show. <laughs> Someone they're they're really good to have because they go on forever. That so. is true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, now that that's an incredible story. I, I was just listening on my way home from work today that uh, the the little dialogue you did with Amy um, uh -huh. for, for Sundance and just how you both were talking. Uh, you know, I think with with musicians, so many of us are not musicians, so it's we, we have a hard time understanding a lot of it. And you have to, like, you know, let us into your world. But there sounds like there's so many similarities just with any kind of creative endeavor where you um, you said something about just the doing of it is what um, what you like to do. And she said the same thing, the doing of it. You can talk yourself to death about certain things, but sometimes you just have to jump in. And, right. I love that you said that and that obviously we work in a similar way and I can't compare myself to all the incredible things she has done. But and I've seen her work as a director and it, it's amazing. She she has a great set and and also you're you're right, it is a similar thing, but a lot of people who create film and television, they I, I hear this all the time. I know nothing about music, you know. And and I said, You don't have to, you know, you know, it's the emotion, it's the storytelling, and that's what I care about. And but even Mike Schur, who I think is brilliant musically, but he, for the first, you know, few shows we did together, he would say, uh, I, don't, I don't like music. In fact, after, after they hired me, and I wasn't even sure if I was hired in the room, which doesn't happen. Usually you go back and you audition, but he, they're walking out of the room and there's, you know, five or six producers and myself. So you always, you know, you're just trying to memorize as many names as you can and, and give some not dumb answers but uh, mike says oh there's one thing you should know i don't like music i don't use it in my television show so this should be different <laughs> so, who doesn't like music <laughs> right he doesn't like music and, uh, and doesn't like it in television shows but he's he really knows so much about music he'd come up with stuff that would always amaze me and uh he's brilliant about everything but you know when you think about it you're usually at the very end of a process where you're starting to doubt your film or your tv series and you, you can't see the forest from the trees. And now someone can come in that could easily destroy it or enhance it or just make it meh. I mean, music is very powerful and they don't, you know, they, they know a lot more about editing generally. And they might know more about production design and costuming than they do about music. So I think it's an area where they, insecure is the wrong word, but you know, it, the possibilities of going wrong are pretty big, and it's it's usually weeks before it airs or, or premieres that you're starting on the music, you know, mm -hmm. and it, that's hard for me. It's hard for them. Yeah, but, you know, I always say, you know, I just want to hear your emotions. I don't, you know, or the emotions that you want out of the music, not, hey, uh, play B minor seven sharp five here. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I did have one one uh, creator of a TV show who will go nameless, but. He did say that, like two hours in a meeting, he says like, hey man, I like that cue, but when we got to the second verse and you played that A minor seven chord, it just blew me, man. It's just a fine thing to say. Sure. But he's within his right, but like an hour later, we're still in this meeting and he says, what are you thinking? I said, I'm still thinking that you said A minor seven. <laughs> well, I used to play a little bit, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but see, I'd rather, it's, it's easier for me to say like, 
wow, you know, you sort of took this literally, we have a sad scene and you made it sad, but I was hoping you could sort of elevate some of the lightness in it. You know, that's a that's to me a better note, but I'll work with any, you know, I've done it yeah. long enough that if someone says, oh, and, and Josh Brand would say uh, about Ed, one of the characters in Northern Exposure, well, I said, what kind of music do you see here? He says, well, Ed's like, you know, he's like, you crack his head open and parrots fly out. And I kind of knew what that meant. And it was a helpful, you know, I knew I wasn't going to write a straight piece of score under that, at least, you know, and, and that was a helpful note, I think. No, it's that's so cool. Because like, I mean, I think about the, the music I've heard of yours, like with, a, you know, uh, Arrested Development, one, you know, like, that's such a beloved show now and it it has that feeling you know it's like non-musician i i listen to that and it's like i know immediately like it brings me into the feeling of the whole thing and it sticks with me it's like um yeah it's just so unique and it just complements the the show so well and incredible so I, I love that you can collaborate like that and i'm sure the people you work with uh are thrilled to have you kind of you know i don't want to say simplify but like i guess kind of just break it down to um, the bare bones and, and, you know, what does it feel like? And, and let's go from there. That's cool. Well, Mitch Hurwitz had created, you know, he wasn't when we started, but he became a really close friend. And we try to go bike riding and fail, but we, we, we're supposed to do it every other week. And we're, we're, we're doing it like maybe every third month. Uh, and he is still a genius. And he has so many great creative ideas. And he was normally so overwhelmed with everything else he had to do that he rarely got to hear music before we brought it to the final mix on the stage. Mm -hmm. And he could do a lot of things with it there. And people would look like me, like he's moving it around and changing it. And I said, he makes it better. You know, he does every time. And uh, he really is uh, one of the great creative, well, I don't like to use the genius word, but he is. And, <laughs> and he's just as funny as his shows. And we always work super hard with him, but it, it's just fun. And yeah, and that's a totally different kind of music than say, you know, what I loved about Arrested Development was it was the kitchen sink. Mm -hmm. you know, there was a sound that everyone recognized and that comes from the Tahitian ukulele. Mm -hmm. I happened to find on vacation, you know, days before I started the show. And I did one thing with it and Mitch called me up and he goes like, what's that? And I said, that's a Tahitian ukulele I just picked up on my anniversary trip. <laughs> he goes like, use a lot of that. And so <laughs> that's, kind of thing that, that's an accident that, you know, I might have only used it once, but then it became the central instrument of the show. Oh, wow. But in Arrested, we used, you know, dark, scary music. There was uh, Cajun music. There was French accordion music. There was everything. Yeah. And I'd done a lot of shows like that. And then I was kind of hoping that after Arrested and Lady Dynamite, which also had that gigantic palette ended. Mm, yeah. I, I was saying, I want something that has a limited palette and I can create one kind of thematic music. And to me, that, that you know, The Good Place was perfect for that and very, very different. And I, I couldn't choose between those experiences because they were both absolutely fantastic with wonderful people. And I've been lucky. That's all I can say. That's no, that's that's exciting. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to seeing the new season of. Um, I'm glad I got picked up again. Rutherford Falls. I really liked the the first season, so I'm looking forward to to watching that and then kind of like listening with a different approach uh, now that I've had the chance to talk to you. So. Um, Rutherford's a, a, another favorite and it's mm -hmm. great and uh, we, we've been working on that all day today and we're just on the second episode I am you know they've finished all shooting uh, but it's really good and I have um, co-composers which I've never had before um, with when we started they were called A Tribe Called Red and they're uh, an indigenous hip-hop band it's always hard to say those two together but they are uh -huh. and they're known in both those communities and 
and you know we didn't know how it was going to work because it was a pandemic and we never met and you know sometimes we we pass something back and forth and we wrote the the main title and the end title together actually with my daughter who came in and just had an idea for um the main title that was really the basis of the main title and then we all added to it and then the end title you know we wrote together and it's really fun to have them to collaborate with and and they're you know the real deal in the hip-hop world and the real thing in the indigenous world and uh and you know but sometimes we even trade our different jobs you know i'll do the slightly more hip-hop thing and then they'll they'll do uh more of an emotional cue and it comes out different because they're doing it and it's it's great oh and cool i'm gonna have to look them up that's i hadn't heard of them they're before, they're so. often they, they were called a tribe called red now they're called hallucination and it's tim and bear and they're fantastically creative uh, well, I guess I should, uh, as we wrap up, I believe, from my understanding, uh, Lucy and Desi documentary will be available on Amazon Prime in March. I think March 4th. Okay, awesome. So um, that's so great that, you know, it was just, a, it's at Sundance, and then now people have the opportunity to see it, um, you know, coming up pretty soon, actually. So, uh, yeah, David, thank you so much for, for speaking with me. It was short, but it was but it was sweet, and I really well, enjoyed meeting you. I feel like we've known each other for years, so thanks so, so much for having me. And I hope we get to meet in the real world. I hope there is a real world. I would, lo I would love that. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully there is a real world where we can. <laughs> All right, there will. We have to be uh, positive and optimistic about this. All right, Absolutely. there will be a real world, and we will meet. All right. Okay, thank All you right. so much. Great. Thank you. All right, okay, bye. take care. Mm -hmm.